The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. (laughs) It's probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Uh, fall camp begins soon for Nebraska in earnest. Depending on when you're listening to this, it's already begun. We're recording this on a Thursday morning. Uh, we will be talking to Scott Frost Thursday afternoon because after an hour and a half of talking to the media a week ago, he didn't get his fill and he wants to talk to us again. So he's going to be doing that for just a little bit Thursday afternoon as a way to kick off fall camp Thursday night uh, is the NBA draft, which means something to me. I know it means nothing to my guests and probably to any of, of my listeners, but it will mean the end of dumb Shea Gilders Alexander trade. So that means the football season is right around the corner. So I have joining me three of your favorite Hale varsity writers. And we're going to do just a little bit of a round table discussion to kind of preview the season as it's coming up. So I, I will introduce you one by one so that everybody can say hi or have a, a little quippy remark if you want to. Greg Smith, hello. How are you? Hi, I am well. I don't care at all about the NBA draft. Sorry. <laughs> uh, we also have Brandon Vogel, who is on a little bit of a time crunch, so we might lose him uh, later in the podcast. But Brandon, we have you right now. How are you? Doing well. My three-month-old only woke up one time in the night for the first time in his life, which felt like breaking the four-minute mile. So, That's wonderful. Well. You're at the age where you can say for the first time in his life for things, and that seems like a cool thing to be able to say. It is. I, I said to him this morning, I think it's going to be the hottest day of your life today, which is accurate. <laughs> That's cool. We also have uh, Jacob Padilla, who hopefully is recovered from uh, the NBA Finals. Jacob, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. I, this is the least uh, invested in the NBA draft I've been in a long time. So it actually kind of feels good. Cause you're at the end of the draft. You don't have to worry about, you don't have to worry about what the Suns are going to do with the number nine pick. You just have to worry about how much money are we re-signing Chris Paul for and how much, you know, how much better can we get next year? Yeah. At 29, there's so many options that it's just not worth getting invested in any one player. So I'm kind of just sitting back and waiting to see what happens. Well, Thank you all for being on. We will talk football. Um, I gave you guys sort of an itinerary, a run through um, last night. We're going to stick to that as, as best as we can. Um, we're just going to preview some, I guess, major storylines. I've got questions for you, like the most important player on offense, on defense, uh, most important game on the schedule, who's going to pop this year. Uh, we'll, we'll start big and then sort of kind of work our way into the minutiae. Um, Brandon shared this. I don't know where he got it from. If he wants to share where he got it from, he can, but the over under for Nebraska's win total this season was set at five and a half. So that's where we're going to start. Um, you going over, you going under that win total, Brandon, we'll start with you. Yeah, that, that number was from, uh, one of the offshore sports books, the, the kind that always sends out their numbers. Cause they hope you'll write about it. It's just kind of a, a PR thing. The actual markets that I looked at last night were Nebraska at six and a half. Either way, I'm over on five and a half. I think that number is too low. I'm not convinced it's a real number. Um, so over for me. Are you would you are you over on six and a half too? Probably, but I'd be a little bit. I, well, I'd be much more nervous about it at that point. Where does put that me nervous, down for seven? Put you down for seven. Where does the nervousness come from? Just where Nebraska's been the past three, the fact that uh, you can look at kind of the best parts of what they do, but the consistency just hasn't been there. And then the schedule. So 
it's it's kind of a tough one to say oh over easy but at five and a half that's that's too low yeah the schedule is rough uh jacob to you next five and a half is the number are you going over are you going under at five and a half i'll go over at six and a half it would be a much harder uh, decision for me especially if i'm actually making a bet here which i'm not um and for the reasons brandon said just kind of waving generally at the, the last three years here um it's just hard at this point to uh count on nebraska to take care of business against the teams that are that they should beat or the teams that are kind of on their same level and so that that's what they're going to have to do to get to seven wins this year and then you've got the other ones that are going to be even tougher so uh, i i think i'm sitting i'm sitting at six right now um, just kind of conservatively going there. Um, I think that the team will be better. It, uh, there will be significant improvement in, in certain areas, but I don't know that I can assume that they're going to fix all the, the weird stuff that's been happening the last few years. Well, the thing that's fun about the Big Ten West right now, I guess not fun from Nebraska's perspective, but you, you talk about teams Nebraska should beat. There's only one team on the schedule that Nebraska should beat if you if you put much stock into preseason projections, and that's – Illinois with a first year head coach sort of going through the rebuild process again. And everybody else, you can sort of make the argument that that should be a coin flip game for Nebraska, including Purdue, including Northwestern, because they're def- the, the, the defending big 10 West champs. Um, so like <laughs> you talk about having to play Michigan and Ohio state on your crossover, Oklahoma and your non-conference, and you get into the big 10 West play coaches talked about it at, at the big 10 media days last week. Like the big 10 West is tough and it's getting tougher as, uh, as Jeff Brom, maybe has some good pieces at Purdue and uh, Northwestern is still there and Nebraska is getting better and Minnesota um, who I, I guess, spoiler alert is Brandon's dark horse. If he wants to talk about that this season um, it, in the West, I should say not overall for the, for the conference. Uh, Greg over under five and a half, where do you land? Man, you stole the words that right out of my mouth, unfortunately, uh, which means I am leaning under on the five and a half. I should have just gone to you right away. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's fine. And and actually, what you said is my reasoning is because they really, the one game that you feel like they should win is Illinois. But do you feel like that for sure because they're just in coaching transition or because you think Nebraska is better than them? Is it a combination of both? Like that becomes weird. But I do still think that Nebraska should win that game but every other conference game is a toss-up you've I think at this point most people have chalked up that Oklahoma game to like a devastating loss like not just a loss but like a big bad loss Um, and what does that do moving forward to the next game after that against Michigan State where it's probably the next game that you would have most confidence in in conference outside of Illinois um, that becomes a tricky game if you come off of a blowout. Like, And then that's before you get to the inconsistency with the team is the thing that really, really bugs me. I, I just don't know how we're going to see that switch just be flipped for them. It very well could be, um, to, to leave that wiggle room. Um, but it is tough to project that. So I would say under. It may not be far under. Maybe it's five. Um, but I would definitely, I would say under at this point. So you asked a very interesting question there. Do you think that Nebraska is a, is a should, is in should win mode over Illinois because Illinois is breaking in a new head coach or because Nebraska is the better team? That's a, that's a, a painful question. I, I would bet for some people that look at that game and say, well, of course, Nebraska is the better team. I would argue that Nebraska is the better team um, in seven of its 12 games on the schedule this year. And I, I think I don't I don't think I've given a, a, a record prediction on the record. People keep at, people ask us about it all off season long. I don't think I've I've given one yet. I think seven and five for this year. So I'm going to go over. I think they're going to beat Wisconsin, and I think they're going to lose to Michigan State coming off that Oklahoma game, which we can talk about if you guys want to. Um, when I put that in the Slack group, Brandon was was sort of taken aback by that because Michigan State projects as as going through some some struggles and they don't really have a great quarterback, but um, yeah, I think, I think Nebraska should be better than the, the opponent in more games than not this upcoming season. Um, so like for me, Illinois, it's, it's a matter of Illinois has a new coach during the rebuild process, but also Nebraska's better and Nebraska's 
they know they need that game, which I think counts for something. Um, Fordham, obviously. Buffalo would have been more interesting if Lance Leopold had stayed. I think they're a better team than Northwestern. I think Northwestern is going to struggle this year. Um, I think they're, I guess, maybe not a better team than Minnesota on paper, but I think that they can win that game. I think they'll beat Purdue. I think they'll beat Wisconsin. So I've got losses to OU, Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, and Iowa to close out the year. Um, we'll, we'll see what a seven and five year, if that comes to pass, what that looks like with losses to Iowa and uh, Ohio state to close out the year. I'd be curious what the kind of vibe is around that season. Um, but I think Nebraska can get to seven and five. And I think even in that record, um, you know, there are, there are one or two games that are sort of could go either way in my mind. So I'll, I'll open this up. Does anybody have thoughts about what I said, what anybody else said, we'll open this up and then move on. I think my thoughts probably will will fall under the next topic uh, on some of what you said there. So I'll kind of hold for now. Yeah. To, to, to your Michigan state point, like Michigan state, I think is one of the more dangerous teams in the big 10 because there are almost like no expectations for them. You know, most of the preview mags I've looked at and kind of conference projections have them last in the East because people really like Rutgers at the moment. And I, I like Rutgers too. Uh, um, <clears throat> so like that, that your pick of Michigan state surprised me, Derek, but I'm also kind of looking at them and being like, they're on a total free roll here and they're going to jump up and surprise some teams. It's just a matter of who it's going to be. I think people talk about like, okay, what's, what's the game on this schedule early on where we're going to learn, like learn a lot about this Nebraska team and surely Illinois, how they come out to start the season. What's the sense of urgency with that game? Um, that'll be telling. But I think too, coming off of the Oklahoma game, if what if if what we expect to happen happens, and that game is not competitive, let's say into the fourth quarter, um, what is what does this Nebraska team look like? Because Scott Frost has talked about we need uh, confidence, we need momentum for this team. These guys just haven't had a ton of confidence. So if you go on the road to a hostile environment and you lose big. And then you have to turn around and go on the road again to a Michigan state team that, you know, part of, part of my thing with Michigan state, I like Mel Tucker as a coach. I think he's a really good coach. Um, and I think that plus them being at home will, will sort of help them. And the fact that they're like, well, we don't got anything to lose. We're playing with house money right now. Um, that's a, that's sort of a, an interesting spot for Nebraska coming off of Oklahoma. They're going to have Northwestern at home for homecoming the following week. Um, that game always means something to Nebraska. So like what kind of display do we get from Nebraska on the road against Michigan state after probably a disappointing loss? Um, that'll, that'll go a long way towards telling us sort of what, what is the mentality of the team? Have they fixed some of the, I don't want to say cultural things, but just some of the the more mental um, stuff that has plagued this team for three years. I think that'll be an interesting spot. And so like if, if they lose, um, then, you know, it's, it's still a work in progress, which I don't think will surprise anybody. It'll obviously be tough to swallow the loss, but um, if they win, then, you know, we'll see what happens over the last eight games. Um, let's move on. The next question was the most important game on the schedule. Greg Smith, what is the most important game on Nebraska schedule for the 2021 season? So, I think my answer on this has actually changed in the time that we've been on this podcast. And, and I will not change it to Michigan state. I will go the game <laughs> ahead of that though. And now say the Oklahoma game. And it's, it's because, and again, I don't expect them to win that game at all. Um, I don't expect it to be close, but I, I am interested in if Nebraska can put up a better fight in that game, if they can start to get closer towards looking competitive, against really good football teams and then moving forward, how they react to whatever happens in that game. Um, because either way, like even if Nebraska say it's like a, a couple of years ago um, at Ohio state, when they had every opportunity to beat that team although three years ago, now two years was the game day game at home um, three years ago now um, and, and how they played in that game and, could not really capitalize on momentum really because the season was what it was at that point. But if they can keep Oklahoma close, can that be something that helps propel them? Or even if they lose in bad fashion, 
can they shake that off and bounce back? I think that that game and kind of the, the mentality entering that game, I think that that week will be fascinating. Definitely. Jacob, I guess we're just going in a serpentine fashion. Jacob, you're up. What's the most important game on Nebraska's schedule yeah, in 2021? I, I just don't have confidence enough at this point to highlight kind of one of the big games um, against those teams that probably should should kind of chalk up as a loss at this point. Like Wisconsin, Iowa, obviously Oklahoma. Um, I think we were kind of, you're kind of hitting on some of it before, but I think it is the games that they should win, and they have to – you got to take baby steps and they got to show that they can take care of business in those games before I'll have any confidence in them knocking off kind of one of the teams at the top of the conference. So it's, it's either Illinois or that Michigan state game for me. I know you, you still had them losing that Michigan state game, but I just have a hard time seeing them handle kind of uh, an Oklahoma loss so poorly that they go lose to Michigan state and then still being able to rally and have a good rest of the season and win a game like Oklahoma. I feel like if, if they're not ready to handle that game coming off, you can't bounce back from what could be either in Greg's scenario, kind of a crushing loss where you're kind of in it and not able to get it done or just a blowout. Um, so I, I guess I'll, I'll go with Michigan state. You add the fact that it's on the road that adds a little bit um, higher level of difficulty of that one but just based on kind of the talent of the teams on the roster or on their schedule, that's one of the games that they should win. And if you start losing games that you should win, then that's kind of where we fall into where Nebraska has been the last few years. So I, I think I'll go with Michigan state, but Illinois, I think is kind of right there in that same conversation. Brandon, what about you? I spent about 700 words in the 2021 Hale Varsity yearbook laying out this case. But for me, not for Nebraska, but for me, the most important game is Oklahoma for, for many of the reasons Greg mentioned. Like, I just looked at it. The line right now is Oklahoma minus 19 and a half. Kind of removing the expectation of a win, I think, is the important piece of this. Like, I just want to see if they're up for the fight. Like, with everything that happened in the offseason, with Nebraska trying to get out of this game, like, can you put that aside? Are you mentally strong enough? Are you motivated enough to go there and, hey, go up 7 nothing? And if you do that, well, can you be in it at halftime? Like, I mean, these are moral victories. And I know people don't like that, but that's where this program is at right now. Um, since Greg already used that one, if you want an alternate game, I would say Minnesota. That's their eighth straight game to open the year on the road. So they'll have a bye week coming up, but that's a long stretch. That's what moving that Southeast or replacing Southeastern Louisiana with Fordham did. So they're going to play eight straight weeks to open the year. And that's a physical brand of football. And as you already mentioned, like it, I, I like Minnesota quite a bit this year. It's not going to surprise me in the least if they give Ohio state everything they want in, in week one. Uh, it, it, that That's a tough one. That's another one that really tests. Okay. We're talking about the talent's better, the, the mentality's better, the motivation's better, all this kind of ephemeral stuff. Here's a game that really puts that to the test just because you are worn down at that point. Yeah, the the Oklahoma game in particular, I think, um, I said this to some Oklahoma guys had me on a, on a podcast with them, and, and they asked me about the defense, if it's actually good or if it's just contextually good because of the conference and, and the quality of, of offenses that Nebraska face, that Oklahoma game will answer that question, maybe. Um, my, I keep going back and forth with this one. So I did a, I, I ranked the games on Nebraska's schedule in order of importance. Um, I ranked all 12 in uh, like mid-July. Um, and I had Northwestern at, at seven. I think earlier in the offseason, I, I would have said Northwestern was uh, maybe one of the more important games on the schedule, just because um, let's say Nebraska is three and two coming out of the, first five games um that northwestern game before they they play michigan minnesota and then have the closing stretch with ohio state wisconsin iowa that northwestern game could be pretty important you know there's a there's a big difference between uh four and two and three and three heading into michigan um but to me like the game that i put at the top of that list uh in early july is still the game at the top of the list for me it's it's iowa um on black friday um Bill Conley's S and P plus system projects Iowa as the, as the best defense in the country. Um, 
I don't know if I go that far with them. I think they're certainly going to be really good. They've got some stuff to replace on the defensive line, which would be interesting. But I really, really like their running back, um, Tyler Goodson, and I think they've got the best center in the country. Um, I just think Nebraska's lost, was it six straight in this series now? And, you know, the the phrase that I that I wrote to, to sort of close out that was, do you, do you want to be taken seriously? You win this football game. Um, for Nebraska, it, it got trolled by Iowa. It got dunked on pretty hard by Iowa um, on social media this offseason. And that's kind of where they're at with this thing. Iowa can just point to the scoreboard as a, as a means of trolling Nebraska, dunking on Nebraska, whatever you want to say. So, I, you know, I wonder if Nebraska misses a bowl game but beats Iowa, how people feel about that. I think this Iowa team is going to test the things that Nebraska does well and, and test the things that Nebraska doesn't do well. And um, they've been close the last three years. They've been really close and it's been mental mistakes that have, that have done them in um, here and there. And so, you know, in, in the same vein as Northwestern, like Iowa sort of demands that you play really sound football. Um, and one of the things that Nebraska struggled with since, since I joined the beat was stopping the run and they've made improvements, but Iowa at the end of the year is going to ask that you stop the run to beat them. And if Nebraska can do that, I think it says a lot about where this program is at. If Nebraska can come away with a win to close out the year, I think it says a lot about where this program is headed. So they're the, they're the most important game for me on the schedule. I might flip flop again in two weeks, but for right now, that's where I'm at. Um, Next question is the most important player on the offense. I didn't, I didn't include this stipulation did anybody pick the quarterback for this question? I mean, it's the right answer. I, I Yeah, I picked him. All right. Okay. So let's talk about it. Uh, Jacob, you can go first. Yeah. I, it, I mean, in general, the the quarterback is the most important player. on Mario Verduzco is mad at you. He's mad <laughs> at you now. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, Mario. But that's kind of how the sport works. And for Nebraska – Obviously, the last few years, um, since his freshman year, Martinez hasn't had the strongest supporting cast on the offensive uh, side of the ball. And part of that, I think you can point to for his struggles. But this year, if things come together, that that excuse should be kind of somewhat out the door. And as a three-year starter coming back, you have to rely on this guy to actually be able to win you some games. And there's some key areas where he has to improve. And if he does that, Nebraska's got a chance to put some points on the board this year. And that's something that they're going to have to do. Um, They can't have a year where their starting quarterback has five touchdown passes. Uh, That's just not going to work. Even if they get the running game going, which um, I know that's something that Brandon um, sees as one of the biggest keys of the season is to be able to have a a healthy running game. And that'll definitely uh, play a big factor, but, it's got to be Adrian in the big moments in the red zone. Um, he's got to kind of make good decisions and kind of get over some of the areas where he struggled that has cost Nebraska in key games. You, you can't have your starting quarterback getting benched this season. Um, I, I don't know that the, the option is there. Uh, Luke McCaffrey's gone. I don't know that they're um, looking at the, the young guys uh, on the team the same way, but um, he has to, he has to be steady and consistent um, for, for this team to have success this year. Brandon, where are you at on this question before we lose you? Yeah. So I uh, was expecting to come from having to come from way out of left field. I, I suspect we'll get a wide receiver in here somewhere, maybe a running back, although maybe not if we can already chalk up two to Adrian Martinez, which Jacob is probably right is the correct answer though. Uh, as Derek alluded to Mario will tell you he's he's but a cog in the wheel of success. <laughs> I'm going with the hub of that wheel. I'm going with Turner Corcoran. So uh, effectively, I mean, we know he played the Rutgers game, but first time starter this year, if he is good, and, and we know like his talent level is high, he might have the highest ceiling of anybody on Nebraska's offense when you talk about pro potential in, in my mind. If he is good, it's hard for me to see Nebraska's O-line not being pretty good. And if you've got a good O-line, I mean, Iowa football in the Kirk Ferentz era basically proves this. You got a chance to be pretty good. So I'm going to be watching him closely. 
if he does, and really you could pick anybody on the O-line. I just went with him because he's the, the freshest. It's pretty close anyway. Um, if he is, you're like, oh, he looks as good as advertised. And yeah, you're going to have first year starter um, blips. But if he is good, I think Nebraska has a chance to be pretty good. Perfectly fair. I was not expecting Turner Corcoran. I've got somebody on the line, but it's not Turner. Um, Greg Smith, you were nodding your head to Adrian. Did you pick Adrian as well? I did pick Adrian as, as well. I was also nodding for, from Brandon picking an offensive lineman. Uh, <laughs> that was my second. Offensive lineman was my second choice. But Adrian Martinez is the first choice uh, for some of the reasons that Jacob laid out. But more than this, I, I, I kind of keep wrestling with this question about Adrian. And does Adrian, and I still don't know, does Adrian need to take a leap for the offense to be better? Or does he just need to be steady? Like in that that question to me is, is really interesting because if he is just steady and that's what Nebraska needs, I think they can get that from him. I think that they can smooth out some of the decision-making or at least make that better. Or, and then at least because the talent around him is better, you can then see some progression um, with some of the numbers. So if you're not even asking him to be like, Mackenzie Milton in that final year of Frost at UCF level good, obviously, then I think that he's got a real shot to help push this offense along. And it has to be, I mean, obviously it has to be better um, than it's been the last few years. Um, if they're going to continue to try and be a better team and to be more competitive, the offense is going to have to pick it up. I think he's the start of that, but it's just interesting to me, Han. I don't think that he has to make the jump that maybe some would assume for the offense to be better because the pieces around him should be better. Well, I'd argue that him being steady would be making a jump. That's fair. And I'm not arguing that he has to be the best quarterback in the West Pretty low in, in order to win. He just can't make the <laughs> right, same mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just can't make some of the same mistakes that he's made over the last couple yeah, of years. Yeah, and I think I think a large part of Nebraska's struggles the past three years is that they've needed him to be more than just steady. So if he is allowed to be just steady, that means somebody hit at wide receiver. Probably means Austin Allen's having a great year. You found somebody in the running back room who can rush for 800 yards on his own. Uh, and that offensive line is pretty good. Yeah, because a lot of what they've talked about is that Adrian has felt the pressure to have the 25-point player, whatever it is, um, every time he sort of takes off and runs with the football, and that's what gets him into trouble. He's fighting for extra yards. He's trying to do this. He's trying to do that. And that's where you get a little loosey-goosey with the football. Um, that's where some of the bad decision-making happens. And so, like, I, I definitely would agree with Jacob that that if he um, fixes the turnover issues and some of the decision-making stuff, that is taking a leap for him. Um and for him, like, I think, like I said, half jokingly, but quarterback play in the big 10 this year is probably going to be down a little bit from what it has been just because you don't look around the conference and see elite playmakers, like, like what we have with Justin Fields. Um, so like for Adrian, I think he can be one of the better big 10 quarterbacks just by not turning the ball over uh, every 13th carry that he has, which is basically what his career average has been. Um I, I did not pick Adrian, though. I did not pick a wide receiver. I picked Cam Jurgens on the offensive line, um, the guy that starts everything and gives them the ball. So I, I've got some numbers for you guys. So in 2019, Cam's first year starting, uh, the offensive line ranked 89th in line yards. These numbers come from footballoutsiders.com. 89th nationally in line yards, which basically they get a portion of rushing success. Um, 58th in opportunity rate, which is the percentage of running back carries when five yards were available that picked up five yards, 96th in sack rate, which is exactly as it sounds. Um, in 2020, Cam's second full year starting. Uh, in line yards, they jumped from 89th nationally to 36th nationally. Opportunity rate, they jumped from 58th nationally to 13th nationally. And in sack rate, they jumped from 96th to 47th. They also improved um, their explosive run rate from 44th in 2019 up to 26th in 2020 so the offensive line as a whole made improvements and they return a huge piece of that um losing brendan hymas will, will probably take some time uh just i i agree with brandon uh putting turner corcoran up there um but he this safe assumption to make is that you know he's going to have some um freshman mistakes some inconsistency issues as he gets used to, to playing against 
Big Ten edge rushers, which <laughs> are a separate beast on their own. Um, but I think Cam Jurgens, with him, it comes down to is the snap on target. And Scott Frost talked about that a little bit at media days. He's talked about it a ton elsewhere as well. Um, their offense is read and react. They don't do a ton of checking at the line of scrimmage pre-play because Adrian Martinez knows who he's reading once the ball is snapped. And if he's taking his eye off that key and having to locate the football, that's a problem. Everything from that point forward is out of whack or a couple seconds off. And that's what starts to throw them off. Now I'm not making excuses for some of the, some of the issues that have happened offensively, but I can understand what they're saying when they say like, Hey, the snap has to be better. Otherwise none of this is going to look like it's working. Um, and in spite of some of the snapping issues that Cam has had, they've still been a pretty productive offense, pretty efficient offense, um, particularly last year. So if he is an, an all-conference caliber center, which I think he can be, I think their offense has the ability to continue to improve and to, to take sort of that next step in terms of their finishing ability, which which will go a long way. Um, it'll help out Adrian. It'll help out the ground game. Um and, and, and I think everything will just look a little cleaner. So Cam was number one on my most intriguing list for the season. Uh, for this question, he's number one for me again. Um, I'm curious for the two of you that picked the quarterback, what would, what would have been number two if I had said no quarterbacks? Well, um, I think offensive line is definitely up there. And it's just tough to single out any one player. Um, I'll, I'll hit on Cam and that's part of my answer to a later question, but um, it, it's just tough to kind of single out any one player. Cause if, if Turner Corcoran has a really good year, but Bryce Benhart doesn't, then you're still kind of in a tough spot. Um, if the tackles uh, kind of hold their own, but again, the, the snaps are an issue, then we're right back where we were to begin with. So it, it was hard to single out any one player on the offensive line. I think that's probably, the second most important unit. Um, but I, I think that's kind of where I sat on that because it, it's hard to, at this point, I have no idea who to single out at running back. I think that'll be pretty important, but I don't know who it's going to be. Um, and at wide receiver, um, it's also a picture that I think they're figuring out. Um, so it's, and I think the tight end will just be, the tight ends will be pretty solid there, uh, be pretty reliable. So I don't know that I would, single them out as the most important or anything like that. Yeah. The offensive line definitely has to be a cohesive unit. Cause um, you know, like Brendan Imus last year, he had a pretty good individual season and it, it didn't, it didn't amount to much for him when it came to individual accolades or going through the draft process. People just looked at the offensive line and said, well, Nebraska's offense didn't play well. So Hymas must not have had a good year. So to that point, they definitely, it has to be cohesive. Greg, would you, who would you have gone with the non quarterback category? The two guys I was kicking around, um, if it wasn't going to be a quarterback, uh, Cam Jurgen, good old beef jerky that you went with, um, and then Samari Toure, um, who has not come up yet on this pod. We've gone uh, 30 minutes without coming up, which is impressive uh, because I think that if he's as good as he was in the spring um, and as good as he's been um, at Montana, then he would end up being their best receiver. But then there's a trickle-down effect there that could be really nice for the passing game that has been in desperate, desperate need of explosive plays. Um, that wide receiver, the closer we get to camp, though, the more wide receiver kind of intrigues me because the pieces are definitely there. It's just whether or not it all comes together, which is really just a microcosm of how you feel about the team at large. But I definitely think the pieces are there and it starts a tour. Sure. If you guys are listening to this here squeaking in the background, that's my dog playing with her toy. She's in a playful mood right now. So it's not, it's not you. You're not hearing things. That is definitely my dog squeaking her toy. Um, we can move on to the same question, but on defense, the most important player on defense. I'll go first. I have picked the safety pairing of Deontay Williams and Markel Dismuke. So I think Nebraska will have pretty good linebacker play. I think Nebraska will have pretty good There's no reason for them to not have good defensive line play just because they return so much. Um, for me, you know, we talk about this secondary and say, yeah, they can be one of the better secondaries in the conference. They certainly have ambitions of being one of the best secondaries in the country. Um, when you start to, to look at their numbers, it's not 
you know, they're not elite at any one thing. So I pulled up some, some of the stuff, 56th in explosive pass play rate. So I used 20, 20 plus yards instead of 15, like some other people, um, 56th there, 82nd in opponent completion percentage against them. Um, which means the lower you are in the ranking, the higher the opponent completion percentage is. 55th in yards per pass allowed, uh, 63rd in havoc rate produced. I just think if you're going to be one of the best secondaries in the country, you've got to be a elite in at least one or two of those. And I think Deontay and Markel will sort of set the table for that. I think they'll sort of, um, they, they can't get beat in behind. They can't have the uh, targeting penalties that give up 15 yards and get them kicked out of the game. They can't be um, inconsistent. They've got to be sort of the anchor of the secondary. They got to be the anchor of the back end of that defense. Um, and, and for them, I, I absolutely think they have the talent and the potential to be one of the best secondaries in the country, but they certainly have to, you know, they played better down the, down the stretch last season, but I, I think, you know, some of the numbers that they look at, they weren't elite against the pass. And <laughs> in order to be one of the best secondaries in the country, you got to be elite against the pass, which I think will help a ton of other stuff. Um, turn some of those pass deflections into interceptions. They got to be better at taking the ball away. Um, they got to be better at, at creating those splash plays that Eric Schneider looks for. That's the havoc rate. Now that's not all on them. Um, they got to get some, some pass rush, but you know, I think, those two guys for me, that, that safety pairing, they've got to be, they've got to be really good. They can't just be like, yeah, we're here. They need to be really good. They've played so much football together. They've talked this off season about knowing each other. Um, there's, there's nonverbal stuff that they just know where the other is going to be. They know what the other is thinking. Um, that stuff has to translate to the field in a, in a positive way. Uh, for Nebraska to sort of make the improvement that it wants to make defensively. I think those guys, excuse me, I think those guys are going to be super important I, because I think Cam is going to be really good. Um, but those guys, like I said, I think they'll set the table for uh, how, how effective this pass defense can be. So, um, Chris Smith, Smith. I went with maybe this is. And the reason being. You like him. Really I do like, like him. him. I do like him a lot. Um, but also because I feel like he's like, <laughs> I gotta want to say the only hope, um, but he's the best hope for any type of consistent pass rush, in my opinion. Like in the last four years, Nebraska has only had three players in the last four years that have racked up more than five sacks in a season. And so can he get to five sacks? Like, can he get to five sacks in a handful of hurries to be able to affect third downs and passing situations over the course of the season, because as Derek was saying earlier, if, and, I, and this is true, I agree that quarterback play in the conference is going to be down from what it's been. It is generally not like a band of world beaters that are going out there and slinging the rock on a, on a Saturday by Saturday basis. So if you can just put pressure on quarterbacks and keep them from just standing back there and picking you apart, even as good as we think the secondary could be, then that I think will really make a big difference, and especially in a lot of these games. You know, we were talking about Michigan State not having a good quarterback. You know, you go down the list, like that could be the difference in some of these games as Nebraska has played so many close games under Scott Frost. Like it seems like a fairly low bar to say five sacks. But again, like I laid out, that's only happened a couple of times over the last four years for Nebraska. Um, and so to get to that bar, I think, needs to be the starting point. Um, and I think Payne gives them the best chance. So, therefore, I am going with Eldarius Payne. Perfectly fine. It's, it's uh, remarkable to hear that they haven't had a guy post five sacks in a season uh, in that long. That's, which everybody – I think when you, when you talk about sacks – people's brain immediately goes to Jojo Doman just right. because he is the the premier playmaker on this defense. Um, because of the role they have him playing, I, I feel like his impact is just hard to quantify um, in, in some of the traditional numbers. And so that's why I think you see PFF, a place like PFF. Now, you know, we quibble with how they get their numbers, but you see a, a, a company like PFF say, yeah, he's one of the five most important impactful returning linebackers, not just in the big 10, but in the country. Um, he's interesting, but certainly, I mean, he had, he didn't have a sack last year. I'm looking at it right now. He didn't have a sack last year. Um, and yet, you know, we're saying he, he's one of the best playmakers on the defense, but didn't have a sack at, at outside linebacker. Um, it's just interesting. Jacob, where are you at on this? 
I am at Jojo Doman. So there you go. Nice little segue there. Nice segue. And uh, I think the, the fact that they couldn't take him off the field last year kind of uh, speaks to how important they think he is. Um, and especially kind of because he is able to play so many different roles. And I, I, the kind of point that you were talking about is the role that he was playing in last year. I do. I personally would like to see them kind of unleash him more as kind of a disruptive player. Um, let him get after the quarterback a little bit more. Um, he kind of did that previously, but last year they kind of had him focusing more on um, dropping back in coverage and being kind of a true nickel. Um, and then a little bit against the, the run as part of that, but you didn't really see him blitzing very often. I, uh, I'd like to see them kind of use him more that way and, or at least kind of mix it up and give him a chance, uh, especially if one of those guys on the other side doesn't emerge as kind of a, re- a go-to pass rusher. Uh, I think Greg's answer of uh, pain is really interesting, and I just couldn't get there for this particular question for most important. I think he could be kind of one of the big swing pieces on this defense if he is ready to kind of step up and be a consistent pass rusher it changes things. But if he's not, if he's just kind of another bit piece, um, I think Nebraska can still be a good defense just based on kind of what they were last year and making small improvements kind of throughout the defense. So I don't know that I put Payne as the most important right off the bat, but he's definitely kind of one of the more uh, interesting. I just think with Doman's ability to impact the game so many different ways. um, And again, like the, the value that they seem to have in him, uh, I think he's probably the answer here. And especially, I don't know, there aren't, like, we've talked about Javen Wright and um, Isaac Gifford as guys that are kind of understudies too, Doman in that role. But are those guys ready to step, go out there and do what Doman does right now? I don't know if you can say yes at this point. Um, I feel like Ben Stilley is going to be a huge part of this defense, but I like the defensive line. And I feel like there are a few different guys in that room. So if, uh, still were to miss a game or two. You have guys that can step up. You have uh, Casey Rogers that can step up and kind of fill that role, um, guys like that. So I feel like deep, uh, um, Stilly is kind of one of your best defensive players, but in terms of the most important, I feel like you've got other pieces there. Your secondary answer was a good one as well. And uh, Deontay Williams in particular, I think, has a playmaking potential. Um, can Can we see more of that this year? And if we do, I think he certainly vaults himself up that list, like you said. So we have two outside linebackers, two defensive backs. Brandon, are, are you on the the defensive line with this question? Most important defensive player for the new for the new season? I am. Um, so in the off season, you know, we always kind of look at these things and we try to piece together. The, this is what how things could go defensively, and this is how things could go on offensively. And it always assumes like kind of everyone's available in total health, which is never reality. But I think the biggest, I, I feel good about Nebraska's defense. Like it, a major drop off for them would be like the one thing I'm totally not counting on this season. So with that assumption, I think the biggest growth area for them is some increased pass rush. And the longer I've looked at Casey Rogers, 2020, um, the more I think he could be the guy to, to offer that and to kind of nudge Nebraska into that, that growth territory as, as a defense. So that's where I'm going. I wouldn't expect him at the end of the year to be their sacks leader or, or anything like that. Uh, that'll probably come from the outside linebacker spot, but in terms of getting something that they didn't have last year, I think he's their best bet when it comes to pass rush. I love that we all had different answers to this question that's good it makes for good podcasting thank you um so that leads us nicely into our next question because the next question was most likely to take a leap if casey rogers becomes that that kind of player that's definitely another another jump in his game for him and, and he'll continue to be sort of a developmental win for them um but like i said most likely to take the leap this can be offense this can be defense greg who did you have for this question Ah, this one was a very tough question for me, um, but I've, I've settled on Luke Reimer. Um, I think that uh, he's a guy that when he's been 100%, he's been very, very productive. Like, And there's been games, obviously, that he played through. I think it was an ankle injury. 
um, that he had during the season last year. And it's been kind of in and out of the lineup. But in six games last year, had 40 total tackles, 29 solo tackles, five tackles for loss, um, and two sacks. Um, I, that's, that's a good amount of production for a guy that's still, a, at that point, was a young football player, um, still getting used to everything and being in and out of the lineup. So I think that he's a guy, and it's funny that Brandon mentioned guy like assuming, you know, the picture of clean health and all of that, because that is the key, I think, here. That if, if you tell me that you're going to get 12 games out of Luke Grimer, I think he leads the team in tackles, and he's a name that you're talking about around the conference at the end of the year. Yeah, that's where I was at too. Um, I think one of those inside linebackers is gonna is, is sort of prime for a leap, and, and that could be Chris Kalarovich coming over from FCS football to FBS football, kind of showing people, hey, this, I was an impact transfer this off season too. That could be Nick Henrich kind of getting his first real opportunity to play a significant role. Um, he got it in the Rutgers game last year, and I think he had 12 tackles to lead the team, I think. Um, he's he's an exciting guy. And then obviously Luke Reimer is an exciting player as well um, for all the reasons you just mentioned. Like one of the things that's most interesting to me is they're going to have maybe the most athletic linebacker group that they've ever had under Frost. And I don't know um, I don't know how much of an advantage that will be or how much of a plus that will be on Saturdays. I, I guess we'll have to watch to find out. But I asked uh, Frost that question um, at media days, sort of a, you know, common sense question but but he had the comment that uh, i think we're going to be able to run better at linebacker um which which will certainly help them they've sort of teams have picked on them over the middle teams have picked on them targeting linebackers and pass coverage um if they can fit the run better that's what minnesota did to them two years ago um that'll certainly help in that game um so i think i think those linebackers i think one of them is prime for a leap which which will help a lot and i'm really interested to see in particular uh what what nick henrich can do um, with with a full opportunity with Will Honus kind of kind of on the sideline. I talked to his high school coach earlier in the summer, and his high school coach was is expecting big things. So we'll see. Um, Jacob, where were you at with this question? Well, um, I think the, the first name that popped into my head was actually Cameron Jurgens, and we we talked <laughs> multiple times throughout the off season um, about the snapping issues and. Um, Greg Austin has said he's in a good place with it. Cam Jurgen said he's in a good place with it. If that's really the case, and if they've kind of got that, for the most part, taken care of, if he's and now heading into, um, he's got a few years under his belt now at this position. I think we all we have to always remember when discussing him and kind of his consistency and his success at the position is he had never played it before uh, until they decided kind of halfway through that freshman year. It's like you know what, let, let, let's move him here. Um, so now he's got a few years of starting under his belt. He understands what it takes to play that position. Um, he's really focused hard on the snapping issues. So if all the, the little fundamentals, all that stuff are kind of locked in for him now, then I think we can start to see that physical talent take over. And that's where he can really be a difference maker and kind of a road grader uh, getting that second level and knocking guys out of the way. Um, we've seen flashes of his potential. Um, there's a reason the coaches are so high on him. There's a reason Derek, you're so high on him. And I feel like at this point, if it's going to happen, this is the year that we're going to see that, all right, things really click for him. Um, so he was the first one I said. Um, I think those inside linebackers, I, I think the, the tough part there for me is, all right, who, who makes a bigger leap and who is kind of the guy in that room? And it's tough to know because they, it seems like they really are high on Nick Henrich and they want him to play this year. Obviously, Luke Reimer has established himself as a, as a playmaker. And then they, they brought Chris Kalarvik in for a reason. So kind of, I think we'll see that three-man rotation um, with, with Will Honus out again. Um, and then we'll kind of see those guys spread out the tackles and the impact plays and stuff. The, the other name I, I kind of st stuck on offense and uh, I think is Omar Manning, <laughs> which is, um, if you're talking about from starting point, he's got as much room to, to make a leap as anybody. And um, if, if he is, it seems like he's been locked in. He's been at practice throughout the spring. He's been um, kind of doing the, the workouts in the summer. And uh, it sounds like they're happy with where he is right now. So if he can be a factor in this offense, I think that, that, that makes a big difference for Nebraska and its offensive potential. 
And going back to Adrian Martinez being uh, the most important player, if he's got a weapon like that on the outside with Samari Toure kind of tearing things up in the middle of the field, Nebraska's got a chance to actually have a, a pretty decent passing attack this year. So he, he was the other name that kind of came to mind for me. I appreciate that that neither of you so far have called me out for essentially cheating with my answer on this and picking three guys without naming <laughs> one of the three. Um, it's your show. We gotta, you know, defer to you on that. All right, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Brandon most likely to take the leap, twenty twenty one. Yeah, I went with <clears throat> Oliver Martin. Um, yeah, we we heard during Big Ten Media Days. I don't was it Stilly that said it. He might be pound for pound the strongest guy on the team. And I mean, correct. Since we've since we've seen you know some testing results come out of Nebraska, I, you know, people finally realize like. The guy's an extraordinary athlete. I mean, he was always a good enough football player to, hey, get a Michigan offer out of high school. Didn't work out. You know, went to Iowa as a walk-on. Basically, he's from Iowa City. Uh, that didn't work out. And then last year, just you had the, the slow start um, through no doing of his own. And he only had five catches last year. All of those were over kind of the back half of the season. But – the the weakness for for this pick and i think jacob kind of alluded to it with his his secondary pick omar manning for for oliver martin to have that kind of season i think omar manning a little bit has to be what he could be and, and samori Ture definitely does if that happens uh it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we get to the end of the year and oliver martin is nebraska's leading receiver um certainly in terms of receptions, maybe not yards, but uh, so I think that's on the table for him. And he's, he's a player. When you look at five catches a year ago, he hasn't really caught on at any of those other two previous stops. He's almost got an unlimited ceiling, uh, but it may be a little bit conditional to Nebraska's passing game being improved, which, which I also expect it to be. Maybe the case with Oliver Martin is that he's been just in this constant state of having to learn the offense that he's in. Um, Matt Lubick talks about this a lot. He didn't know the offense. He wasn't comfortable in the offense last year, and yet he was playing a ton for them. Um, so maybe best case scenario, you have this guy that is an athletic freak, which by all accounts he is, um, who, who absolutely crushed it with winter conditioning and, and testing um, and things like that. If he's finally comfortable, some of that athleticism, some of that natural ability can just sort of start to shine through. And if you've got Omar Manning and Samori Toure operating on one side. If you've got Austin Allen being the kind of tight end that, that, you know, they think is capable of, of having a long NFL career. Um, that's a good situation for somebody like Oliver Martin to be in. It's a good situation for any of the wide receivers to be in, but you know, that's, that's assuming everything goes according to plan, which it, it hasn't, but yeah, I definitely, um, he was on, he was on my list of, of most intriguing players as well. Um, let's move to the last question that I have for you guys, the area of improvement for Nebraska that is most in need of improvement in 2021. Brandon, we'll go right back to you. What do you think? Explosiveness on offense, which you guys have have heard me talk about for, for a couple of months now, like it's, it's the whole game in 2021 to me for, for Nebraska in particular. 52nd and explosive plays percentage last year, which, which wasn't bad, but that was heavily reliant on the run game, which itself was a lot of quarterback run uh, providing those explosive plays. I wrote a little bit about it this past week and, and kind of looking at Minnesota in 2019 and Nebraska in 2021, but that was kind of tip the iceberg in terms of some of this drive data that I've looked at and, the broad way to say it is Nebraska has to go too far and it takes too long to do it too often. And that's not college football anymore. Like you need those four or five play scoring drives. And it's, it's really the biggest difference. Like if we started from a point of like, Oh, Frost is coming from UCF and yeah, they're not going to average 50 points because this is a big 10. Um, but you're going to have some of that. Uh, the biggest difference is like they start too many drives in kind of the 75 to 80 yards to go territory. And okay. That's where most drives start, but they don't have those where they pick up 30 yards on one play. And all of a sudden you're scoring in four or five plays instead of eight or nine. And 
that's a big piece of the discussion when we talk about, oh, there's too many fumbles, there's too many mental mistakes. The longer those drives take, the more exposed you are to those sorts of things. So if Nebraska starts getting some quick scoring drives, uh, I think a lot of that stuff goes away. And it may not even go away. You may just have reduced your your risk of those kind of things. That's kind of where, where I'm at as well, but we'll save that conversation for a little bit. Greg, where are you at? I am, it's a, uh, an offshoot of what Brandon said, actually, um, and it's passing touchdowns. Like Adrian Martinez last season had four passing touchdowns, and that'll be a, a weird shortened season. Um, but still, that number jumps out to you, right? One, two, three, four is not going to get it done. Um, in Nebraska, to be that type of explosive offense that they need to get closer to that Brandon was just laying out, some of that's going to have to come from the passing game, which is so weird because all of this stuff kind of plays together because the thing goes back to what we were just talking about, about painting that picture at wide receiver, which is totally realistic. Like, I don't think that it's um, like so far out of bounds to think that, okay, if Omar Manning is out there consistently, Ture is, is what we think he can be in the slot. That third receiver who I think is Oliver Martin at this point um, on the outside um, he obviously is athletic enough to command some attention. You, it's difficult as a defense to really take everyone away. So someone's going to have a favorable matchup, right? And so then if Adrian Martinez is making those decisions, going back to Jacob's point, uh, ultimately about him, then things could be pretty good. And just being pretty good to me is improving on, obviously, those four touchdown passes. Um, and I think that that's where it has to go. Like, and it really plays into what Brandon was saying. And they can come um, from long distance. They can come from medium. But they've got to be more of a part of this offense um, for the team to have a lot more offensive success than they've had previously. Yeah, yeah, Nebraska only had five passing touchdowns total. So Luke McCaffrey had one. Right. Uh, just for context, Rex Burkhead, a running back, threw three touchdowns in 2010. He was three for four with three touchdowns. So. Yeah, and it's just kind of, it's so much, it's such an anomaly in today's college football to have that be the type of thing um, that's happening and really outside the norm for this offensive system. Like it just all is so strange. And I don't know if it's one of those things too, where it just has to improve like by function. Like there, there should be nowhere to go, but up when it comes to that particular number. Absolutely. Jacob, where are you at? I'm in the same place. Uh, that's kind of what I highlight. And more specifically, I think kind of the passing game inside the 40 um, and Brandon's point makes it slightly less important that you're able to execute in the red zone in particular, if you can get some from 30, 40 yards out, but mentioned the five passing touchdowns, the longest touchdown, I think was a jet sweep. The ball traveled like a foot in the air on that Xavier Betts touchdown. So you you take that out and it's even more depressing. I would say. Well, it was just a little pop pass. Yeah. It should have been a run. Should have, those should be classified as runs. Yes. Those yeah, that's because of Yeah, it should. Yeah, but um, it goes under the path. So that, like, you take that out, and it, again, it's just, just mind-boggling how poor their ability to get the ball in the end zone has been through the air. And I think it, if uh, Connor Culp is the Big Ten kicker of the year again, it'll mean bad things for Nebraska this year because we know at this point he's not a guy that's going to be bombing from 45 yards away. If he's got a lot of touch or a lot of field goals, that means that Nebraska is stalling uh, inside the 40 um, too often. Um, it, it's nice having that security blanket there, but that can't be what you're relying on. You got to go there. You got to get seven. So um, that's kind of, I think, the area that they really need to improve the most. And um, hopefully the, the upgrades at wide receiver will play a big part in that. And then that goes back to kind of the progress that, Adrian Martinez needs to make. And there, there are too many times last year where they had touchdowns there. And whether it was a bad pass, the receiver dropping the ball, maybe just a couple a bad play call, whatever it was, they just were not able to um, kind of punt, finish off these drives with touchdown passes. So that's something they've got to be able to kind of 
get get the ball in the end zone from 10 yards out from 15 yards out from five yards out when um they're they're playing against the run so um kind of on the same page as greg here and going back to what brandon said that that would uh go a long way too if you could get some from 30 40 yards out where you don't have to rely on kind of the, the field shrinking and making tighter window throws um i think that would that would help a long way as well I couldn't, I couldn't settle on this question between, Oh, great. Go ahead. You wanted to say something. Yeah, real quick. Sorry. Um, but it's also a, another one of those things where I think this falls into the category of we've seen it be close. It just has to happen. Like you can picture multiple times where guys are streaking down the field and they weren't seen or other times where the ball has been dropped. Like those plays have been there. They're out there on the field. It's just making them like, I don't think, that having some of that stuff improve is asking the world because we've seen it like almost play out. Like, and that's what makes this like, it, like kind of exciting, but also kind of frustrating at the same time. Yeah. I think turnovers defensively will go a long way towards, towards helping out everything um, with this team. I think if they can, if they can, you know, if they can hang on to the ball a little bit better offensively, certainly their defense will be in a little bit better position starting out. And then it's not a situation where you come on the field and, and you're just like, okay, we just have to hold them three points. It's a situation where you come on the field, you know, 75, 80 yards away from the end zone. And you say, all right, we can be a little aggressive. We can go try to take the ball away. Um, now, some of that is, is they need to capitalize on opportunities given to them. Um, but I think if the defense can create more turnovers, they only had seven and eight games last year. I think they need more, um, particularly given the, the style of play that they have. Um, I, I think that'll go a long way towards helping. But the other one with me, and, and why I couldn't really decide between the two was, was special teams. And I think special teams has to play a big part in Nebraska being in better starting field position offensively, because like to Brandon's point, it has to take so long to get to the end zone. Well, that's because they, they're basically punting on kickoff every single time they're, they're starting w- without any kind of momentum on kickoff. They're not attempting returns, even when balls seem to be returnable. Um, I, I feel like they need to maybe find a way to get some production either from the kickoff return game or some production from the punt return game and, and, and have a little bit more pop there so that their offense isn't starting drives 75 yards away every single time um, because that seems like what it was. And then, and then on the other end, um, they have to find somebody who can consistently hit kickoffs into the end zone. You can consistently draw touchbacks from kickoffs. And, and to their credit, they've done a lot of searching uh, turning over rocks all off season long, trying to find somebody uh, that can, that can hit touchbacks. Um, that's, that's absolutely a, a thing that they have prioritized um, this off season. I think, you know, just the field position battle in general, you talk about Nebraska as a team that's had to struggle and grind for everything it gets. If they can just help themselves from a field position standpoint, I think some of that stuff gets just a little bit easier, which will, which will help a ton. Um, I think moving forward. So that's kind of where I was at. Any other thoughts from anybody else? One of the the uh, sort of if we have time wrap-up questions I had for you guys was a Nebraska number you find most interesting. Is there anything else that you want to talk about as it relates to previewing the season, previewing fall camp before we wrap this thing up? I did have one quick one, um, and that number is three. Um, and that stands for three games in a row um, wins, which is, which is something that Scott Frost has not done at Nebraska yet. Um, and that, and it, and it kind of jumps out to you again, as, as he continues to talk about the team needing momentum, um, and needing some wind under their sails, whichever analogy you want to use, like they desperately need that, which is why uh, the other game in consideration for me is most important was that Illinois game. Because if you want to have a shot at starting three, and zero and doing that, uh, for the first time under frost, then you have to win that first one in Illinois. Um, that, that number to me is something that is really, really intriguing. Yeah, that's a good one. I yeah, I always like those when those kind of numbers. When you sit down and look at it, you're like, oh, they haven't won three in a row. And how many times, you know, have we have we heard Frost mention over the years, like just kind of lacking momentum or just missing the chance to kind of seize momentum and, and create it yourself? You know, it's it's like one of those where you know so much college football is can be boiled down to like just win your home games. Like some years you're going to play Ohio state at home and it's going to be tough. And, you know, maybe that's not possible, but like during the Polini era where they were at nine and four consistently, 
there was a long stretch there where they'd never got, they didn't go undefeated at home. They'd always drop that game, you know, like the Northwestern game. I think that first year in the big 10 or maybe the second year, um, win your home games. That's seven right there for, for a power program, like, like Nebraska. Uh, my number is 77. That's the number of fumbles lost by Nebraska or not fumbles lost total fumbles, which I actually like better because that's a measure of how often are you like putting yourself in a position to lose the football. Nebraska's done that 77 times over the past three seasons. So 32 games, you're looking at 2.4 total fumbles a game. Uh, Here's the rest of the big 10 West, Iowa, 32, Purdue and Northwestern, 41, Minnesota, 42, Wisconsin, 53, and then Illinois, 58. So Nebraska has 20, almost 20 more, 19 more fumbles than the next closest team in the Big Ten West. And you just, you can't put the ball at risk that often. It has to change. With their turnover luck being what it is, is it safe to assume that they've lost more than 50% of those? No, that's the thing. They've been fortunate. They've only lost 41%. Uh, yeah, really. So they, they put it on the turf that often and you'd expect them to lose uh, 38.5 of those. They've only lost 32. So, you know, we're talking about not a huge difference, but hey, six fumbles not lost. They've been fortunate to only have 32 fumbles lost on 77 total fumbles. Remarkable. Jacob, any closing thoughts for me? I, I don't know that I have a number, but a stat, and just kind of taken from Brandon. I, I, yards per carry by the running backs. Um, I think that'll point to how healthy this offense is going to be, and it will if if they can actually generate a, a halfback running game, that'll allow Adrian Martinez to be the guy that we were talking about, where you don't have to go be the hero. You can run the offense. You can't run the offense if he's the biggest threat out there on any given play. So, and, and the guy that they have to worry most about. So um, if they can find, I don't know who it's going to be. Um, I don't know how long it's going to take, but if they can get a healthy halfback running the game, I don't know where I would set that uh, mark as far as what I would consider a healthy running back game there, but it's got to happen for Nebraska to be a good offense this year. I believe before the, Rutgers finale last year when Dedrick Mills had the nearly 200 yards. I, I believe uh, yards per carry average from just the running backs was sub four. Yes. That is the issue. Yeah. So um, there's a big fall camp storyline. Who's going to be the guy that, that takes that running back job. Uh, they're certainly going to want to have that job sort of shirt up by the time we, we get to the season or at least have one guy, they've one or two guys they feel like they can rely on. So there's a storyline. Um, we'll have other storylines on HailVarsity.com. We will have plenty of, of fall camp coverage on HailVarsity.com. Everybody that is in this podcast right now, guest-wise, has their own podcast. So Greg Smith's is the Straight Up Breakdown podcast. Jacob Padilla's is the Nebraska Preps postgame show. Brandon Vogels will be coming back soon, maybe soon, uh, the I-80 preview podcast. So make sure that you subscribe to all of those. Make sure you leave them a five-star rating and review. And uh, yeah, just keep reading HailVarsity.com. Guys, th- thanks so much for coming on. I'll, I'll let you guys get on with your day. Appreciate having you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back next week with another podcast. Uh, like I said, in the meantime, just keep reading HailVarsity.com. Appreciate you guys. And we'll talk next week. A Huda Media Production.